You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You know, if you really think about it, we've gone from the smallest government in world history to the largest government in world history in a shockingly short amount of time. And during this short time, we've seen individual freedom and civil liberties decimated in the wake of the state's never-ending quest for more and more control. Democrats, Republicans, both are to blame. This show isn't about picking sides. It's about returning power to its rightful owner, the individual. Welcome to Freedom Strips on the We Are Libertarians Network. Well, welcome back to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. I have a very special guest with me today. Um, my guest today is the is a senior lecturer in psychology at Clemson University and the 2020 Libertarian Party presidential nominee, Dr. Joe Jorgensen. Dr. Jorgensen, thank you very much for meeting with me today. Oh, hey, happy to be on. Thank you. Oh, wonderful. Well, uh, let's just start the, the show off with a little bit of an introduction to yourself for those who may not know you. Um, let the listeners know a little bit more about yourself, how you became a libertarian and why you're running as a libertarian for president. So I joined the libertarian movement about 40 years ago. I heard a libertarian on the radio. That's why it's so important to have podcasters and uh, radio shows out there. And when I heard it, I thought, wow, that somebody else believes what I believe. I thought that I was the only person in the world that thought that. So it was so great to meet like-minded people. Um, I ran for U.S. House in 92. I was Harry Brown's 1996 running mate, uh, VP. And together, Harry and I doubled the party size, which is the largest increase in Libertarian Party history. And I'm so pleased to be now on the top of the ticket for 2020. Well, that's Did I miss th- anything there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's uh, that's quite impressive, and I think congratulations are in order for you. Uh, congratulations for winning that nomination for a hard-fought race. I know there were several uh, big candidates that fought very hard for that, so congratulations for coming out on top. And and you did mention that uh, Gary Johnson. Uh, ran and, and got 4.5 million votes coming to just over like 3% of the national total national vote. I think it was, which was monumental for the libertarian party. Um, that, that was the largest vote captured by a libertarian by far, but it has been argued, um, that it didn't really translate to party membership. Uh, I have heard that say it didn't really transfer to party membership and, and rightly so, um, by some Gary, by some, uh, individual voters, Gary Johnson was kind of seen as uh, sort of like a protest bo- vote, but it didn't really move the needle for libertarian ideas in their minds. So how can you balance receiving votes while also successfully promoting libertarian principles? Yes, I would like to point out that votes are important since we are a political party. And I really admire Gary for getting by far the most number of votes. And he actually did pretty well. 
uh, when it comes to membership. So uh, Harry Brown and I added about 8,500 new members and he added 7,500 new members. So it was still pretty close. But while we do need votes for ballot access, uh, I think that the movement is almost as important as votes because we do need other candidates, state, local, federal level. We do need people running for governor, mayor, and all of those. And we need the supporters. We need um, people knocking on doors, donors, uh, candidates. So I think that in order to grow the movement, we just need to get as many people in as possible. And we are so ecstatic. It turns out that we're getting many more volunteers so fast, more than we ever dreamed we could. And so many of them are non-libertarians. That's what the excitement, uh, that's the, the most exciting thing about all of this. Wow, great. So they're, they're kind of coming from, uh, is, is, is social media where you find most of those volunteers coming from? Or, or how are they getting in contact with you there? I don't have the data on that. But yes, I've got a great social media team. And they, a lot of it is, you know, we, we heard Joe on some podcasts, or we heard Joe on the radio, and we really like what she has to say. So a lot of them aren't saying, well, I'm a libertarian, so I'm helping out. They're saying, we want to see Joe president. <laughs> and I think a lot of that is reflected. We keep hearing how, you know, the media keeps referring to them as the uh, two old rich white guys running. And I think <laughs> right. just don't, you've got rich guy number one, rich guy number two, and they don't see that as much of a choice. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think rightly so, too. Um, to kind of let me mention, and it's not so much that um, how much money you have, it's that the way our country was set up, and I loved your opening talking about how we have the smallest government. Uh, our government was set up as a citizen statesman where you go to Washington, if you're a politician, you pass laws for a few months, and then you go home and you live under those laws you created. And I don't think Joe Biden has ever had to live under a law he created. And I think that's the real problem here. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, especially with, uh, you know, in recent times with all of this um, George Floyd mess, you can kind of go all the way back to the Clinton crime bill that Biden was sitting there and right hand in hand with Clinton on that crime bill that kind of set the stage for this kind of police brutality and militarization of the police that we're seeing. And uh, I mean, people are rightly so upset at, at what happened. And and uh, I, I mean, it's just a, a mess that we're coming into. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And when people have asked me how I would solve the problem, I always first ask, can I? Can we talk about what created the problem? And one of those is just what you're talking about. And what we have right now is the federal government providing local police forces with all sorts of paramilitary equipment, with free money for more, free training. And if you're a police force and the federal government says, hey, you want a free tank? You know, okay, sure, I'll take a free tank because you know that it came from your taxpayer dollars, you know, taxpayers in your area. So, you know, why let somebody else have your money? Uh, but what's interesting is that, of course, uh, as a libertarian, you know that uh, crime and uh, police should be done at a local level. Not that crime should be done. Maybe I said that a little wrong, but but the policing of a crime should be done at a local level. Uh, assault, robbery, burglary, and so forth. There's no need for the federal government to get involved. And by having them over-involved, it's just escalated the problem. And if you ask the, the, the average citizen, hey, would you like your property taxes to go up? 
so that you can buy a new tank for your police department, <laughs> most people would say, no, I want a new school, you know, gymnasium, or we want a new elementary school. Right. They would much rather spend it on stuff that they would use. So that's the only reason that we have such militarization of the police force is because of the federal government. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one of your big platforms um, within your campaign is criminal justice reform. And I think that kind of comes into this um, th- this kind of question of what, what would you what would be your pitch? Because right now, I believe the country is much more susceptible to the idea of widespread criminal justice reform due to recent events that's happened with George Floyd and then, you know, the compounding events that happened before that. But right now we're in a really good spot where I think the widespread idea of criminal criminal justice uh, reform is at its peak right now. So what would be your pitch to uh, the American people to kind of get on board with this idea? Well, part of what I just said is that the federal government should not be involved. Uh, And that's the problem with the government. Uh, When people ask me why I'm running for president, my answer is that government is too big, too bossy, too nosy, too intrusive, and they usually hurt those they're trying to help. So should the federal government ever get involved? Well, in a few cases. So with George Wallace keeping blacks from entering the school, of course the government, the federal government needed to get involved to restore the rights. But for an average thing like uh, policing the streets, no, the federal government should never get involved unless the governor specifically requests help and it's truly needed. But to just go sending tanks and paramilitary equipment everywhere, uh, that's going to cause more problems than it solves. Right. Uh, Sticking with current events, um, the government response to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, it's directly led to like the greatest transfer of wealth in in this country's history from the working class to the elite, um, to big bankers and corporations getting huge cash influxes from the Federal Reserve. Um, while the average American citizen is stuck with the bill and really their only reward for getting stuck with that giant bill is just a measly 1200 bucks. Uh, so that's how they get you a hook, line and sinker there. Um, so really with the thousands of small businesses that have gone under and the millions of people that the government led intervention has essentially created a process where it made it illegal to work. What would a libertarian president, uh, Joe Jorgensen, do in a kind of COVID-19 pandemic type situation, trying to curtail that in a way where it doesn't also completely strip civil liberties and freedoms? Well, the first thing I would have done is not put everybody under house arrest. This was the largest assault to our personal freedom in my lifetime. I think there are two major uh, problems, two major mistakes that Trump made. First of all, with the FDA, Uh, ever since 1962, companies, drug companies have had to prove efficacy in addition to safety. And so, and and that sounds nice, except that it costs millions, if not up to a billion dollars, just to bring a new drug to market. So that's a big obstacle uh, when you're trying to get something to the market fast. So with the uh, coronavirus, there were over 60, and that's six zero, over 60 companies making test kits. The FDA only approved two. 
And what happened to the other test kits? Basically, they went around the world. And so we kept seeing news of all these countries doing heavy testing and how we needed to do that. Yeah, they're all using American test kits. You know, we've got American ingenuity and people around the world get to benefit from it, but we don't. And the second thing that Trump did, oh, and so I would use my Emergency Powers Act to get rid of the efficacy requirement and just keep the safety requirement. The other thing he did was early on when they were saying maybe 60 to 80% of the um, uh, people with, virus, with the virus showed no symptoms, he was telling Americans, if you don't have symptoms, don't get tested. So that means you could have the virus, not know it, and circulate among other people and spread it rather than getting everybody tested so that people who needed to stay home knew they needed to stay home and to stop the spread that way. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah, and it's so interesting because as time moves forward, we see how many things were just uh, gotten wrong in this whole situation, Uh, not just from the federal government, but from the professional medical uh, centers like the Center of Disease Control and the WHO. I just saw an article today that the WHO said that the spread of asymptomatic patients was actually very rare. So they're even tra- starting to backtrack on that. So it's very, very difficult to, um, to, to know what is correct and what is right, what is wrong. But the government just kind of stepped in and made these blanket um, changes, putting people in house arrest, uh, making it illegal to work. Um, so yeah, the World Health Organization is not our friend. No, no. I think uh, they've they've been caught plenty of times uh, really with heavy influence from the Chinese government uh, um, influencing their decisions. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so let's transition over a little bit right now. So let, right now we have a president who ran a heavy campaign on ending wars and bringing the troops home, yet there hasn't been a single war ended. And really, the only troops that are here are actually the National Guard marching through American cities, which is kind of frightening to see. I mean, I saw pictures of um, uh, Washington, D.C. with soldiers lined up on national monuments and, and, and keeping people uh, out of public areas. So it's, it's all very frightening and, and, uh, and just a disaster, but what would be your plan to, to kind of follow through with this false promise that president Trump came in with of ending the endless wars and bringing the troops back home? Well, first mine would be a real promise. And I'd like to point out that one of the reasons that the polls got it wrong with Trump is that they weren't polling people who either had never voted or haven't voted in 20 years because so many of these people said we give up government's never going to change and then you have an outsider like donald trump come along and a lot of people said wow yeah he's worth voting for but here's here's what's scary is he was an outsider he did not have 40 years of political favors to repay and yet even he couldn't make government smaller So if an outsider like Trump can't make government smaller, then that should give any Republican, you know, the message that 
there, there is no hope that any Republican can make government smaller. And yes, he said that he would cut deficit, or cut deficit spending, cut spending, it's gone up. And with the wars, what he's done is he's either rearranged the troops or in some countries, maybe he's moved the troops out, but then he puts in drones. And that's still involvement and it still makes us less safe. So my policy, and by the way, bringing our troops home is one of my top three uh, platform uh, planks. So I would like to bring our troops home, turn America into one giant Switzerland, armed and neutral. Perfect. Um, the, the media is already talking about this 2020 election as the election of our lifetime. You know, they always kind of use that phrase over and over again. I feel like I've heard it from the past 10 elections, every election, yeah, every, every every single election. And I mean, I, it's to a, to a degree, I suppose I agree with it, but not for the same reasons that they do. They're thinking that it's the most important election to just get Donald Trump out of office. I think it's the most important election because government control is getting out of control. Um, so with, so third party candidates have a tremendous hurdle to kind of jump over to kind of combat this two party system that's in, in encapsulated the political process here in America. Um, Trump supporters are going to say that a third party uh, vote is essentially a vote for Joe Biden and Biden supporters are going to echo that same sentiment uh, that a, a third party vote is going to be a vote for Trump. So what would be your pitch to both Trump supporters and Biden supporters? That a that breaking away from that two party system and casting a vote for Joe Jorgensen would be the best for both of them. Well, first of all, many people think that we draw mostly from the Republicans, and that's just not the case. Most elections we draw equally from Democrats and Republicans. Um, but what I would say is, well, whether I speak with Democrats or Republicans, when I ask them, is government too big or is it too small? People usually laugh when I ask them if government is too small, and even Democrats are saying, no, they're, they're in too many parts of my life, like, uh, you know, the drug war. And so I would suggest that a, waste, that, that a vote for bigger government, which is what you don't want, is the true wasted vote. Why would you want to vote for something you're not, you, you don't even want? Uh, if, if this is what you want, if my campaign is what you want, then please join us especially since we have so many non-libertarian volunteers and we're growing a movement of non-libertarians, uh, let's grow this movement of what all Americans really want. And there are, by the way, 40 to 45 million Americans out there who do lean libertarian. They just have never voted our way or not sure about the party. Um, so let's get all of those people together and, and actually get these guys out of office. Yeah. I love how, uh, both of the two major political parties always blame the very small chunk that votes third party, but they can't seem to get that 46% or whatever it is of the Americans that don't actually cast a vote to vote for their candidate. But somehow it's the, it's the two to 3% of Americans that vote third party. It's their fault. It's not yours. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so Ron Paul was really like the only candidate that I, I know of that was successfully, he successfully incorporated um, how important uh, to the American people ending the Fed was. Now, a lot of people didn't know what the Federal Reserve was, but he did a fantastic job at teaching the American people how important that institution was and how it needed to actually be ended for um, the Americans to stop having their wealth essentially being stolen right out from under them. Um, in your eyes, how important is it, is it to end the fed and what steps will you take to do so? Yes. So what I would do is I wouldn't end the fed right away. I would first audit the fed. Uh, and of course we need a free market money supply, but if we do it all at once, that could be disastrous. So Mm. I would first audit the fed. And when doing that, I would appoint a chair to the Federal Reserve who has been recommended by Ron Paul. And then after we get there, then we can get rid of it. And, yeah. and you know, yeah, doing this is, is going to help preserve the value of your wages and savings and also allow retirees to be financially secure. Because right now we've got increased printing of money. Every time Congress goes in there and, uh, uh, Increase the spending, or if uh, the Federal Reserve decides to print more money, now taxes are up, prosperity is down. And if you're a retiree, you can't go back and enter the marketplace, at least not easily. And so um, we just need to get rid of the funny money. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. I, I always love watching those videos of Ron Paul just battling Ben Bernanke uh, endlessly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's, kind of staying on monetary policy here with taxes, um, with government spending out of control and, and never seemingly never stopping. Um, when you get into the, uh, presidential chair, what would you, what, what course of action would you take to start to put a limit on that spending and actually start to trim down the debt? Well, I would meet with the cabinet and, uh, tell everybody, okay, you need to start cutting and come back with proposals. Also, I would make it very clear to Congress, uh, do not give me a budget that is larger. Do not give me a budget that's unbalanced because I won't sign it. If you give it to me, I'm going to send it back. And that is one of the myths that unfortunately uh, Americans have, which is that Ronald Reagan cut government. He did cut spending. Art Laffer was right. However, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He did cut taxes. Uh, uh, let me reverse that. He cut taxes. Art Laffer was right. If you cut taxes, uh, people have more motivation to work. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to bring in more taxes overall. So instead of saying, well, now we've got all this yeah. money, let's cut spending. Instead, what happened was they said, oh, look at all this money. Let's spend it. And every year for eight years that Ronald Reagan was in office, spending went up. And every time uh, Congress presented him with an unbalanced budget, he just said, okay, and signed it. So I would absolutely refuse to sign any uh, budget that wasn't balanced. That sounds like a good start to me. I know we're short on time, so I'm going to let you go here. Uh, Dr. Jorgensen, uh, let people know where they can find you, find more information about you, where they can go to help contribute to your campaign and maybe volunteer. Well, thanks for that. I'm at joj2020.com. And we could really use your help and your donations. So again, joj2020.com. 
Thanks so much. Well, thank you, Dr. Jorgensen. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of Freedom Strips. Thanks, everybody.